the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Friday, which means we have successfully made it through another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your questions, questions on the Bible, questions about anything going on in your life. All you need to do is call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free and you'll be safe and the program will be more interesting if you call. Uh, Today, because it's Friday, I'm going to be tonight finishing up on the rapture and hopefully I'm going to be leaving some time for some questions uh, and answers. The the rapture is so important and I think we we sort of shuffle it to the back uh, part of our, our lives. But Jesus is coming and we got to be ready. So uh, I wanted to give that opportunity tonight. So we're going to do that here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I'm going to be teaching uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 on Sunday. And uh, all of it is available live stream at calvarysa.com. One other thing I'd like to talk about just for a moment. And this is for the men in the audience. We will be next week um, at our men's retreat. Uh, it will be in Burnett, Texas at Camp Buckner. And um, we've got room if anybody wants to come. We've got a lot of people signed up, but we've got room if anybody wants to come. We'd love to have you. You can go to uh, calvarysa.com and get details, or you can simply call the church office or, or show up in church. We've got uh, sign-up sheets for one more weekend on the retreat, and we'd love to have you. It's as inexpensive as we can make it, and you will be blessed, I promise you. Okay, let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls on this Friday afternoon. Jaden says, uh, Pastor Ron, I know Jesus was sinless, but my mom says Mary was true. Or was too. Is that true? Um, Jaden, uh, Jesus was sinless. You're correct. Uh, your mother, who is probably Catholic or has a Catholic background, um, is wrong. Um, Luke chapter 2, Mary, Mary's Magnificat. Is it Luke 2 or Luke 1? I think it's the end of Luke 1. But uh, Mary's Magnificat, um, she indicates that God, uh, her son, is her Savior. And if you're sinless, you don't need a Savior. But but Mary understood who she was, and Mary was not without sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul writes to the church at Rome, for all means everyone has sinned. The only perfect one was Jesus. So, live for Jesus and show your mom what's true, Jaden. Thank you very, very much. It's Luke chapter 1, Jaden, verses 46 through 55. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Mike. 
How should a Christian view guns in self-defense? Like, I haven't had a question like this for a long time. I'm not a gun guy. Um, I have nothing against guns. I'm just personally not a gun guy. Uh, I think uh, having guns is a right given to us in this nation, and I think um, the responsible use of guns should be uh, not only encouraged, but uh, certainly no one should have any problems with it. Um, and self-defense is the same. I think, Mike, we have an obligation to defend ourselves, our families. And you don't let somebody come up and pop you in the nose. You don't let somebody steal something from you. So uh, I think those are things that we should view uh, very positively. Um, guns, gun rights, self-defense, all of those things, Mike, are important. You know, Mike, I've had um, a lot of police officers uh, in our church over the years uh, Obviously, because we live in San Antonio, military community, I've also had a whole lot of people, still do have a whole lot of people in the church who served our country, and many of them did so in conflict. And uh, um, they've asked me this question, especially if they've come to Christ as a result of some of the the issues they've they've had. Uh, And and we want them to know that they did their job, um, they they did nothing wrong, and... um, I think it's important that we communicate that to people. So uh, I think this is a pretty important issue, Mike. Thanks very much. Hope that answers your question. Gene says, I know Christians aren't supposed to sue people, but what do we do if we have been cheated? Um, Gene, it doesn't say Christians are not supposed to sue. A uh, court system is available. It's part of the world that we live in. A court system is available to Christians and, and non-Christians alike. And we're supposed to be able to use it or have access to that court system. What it says, Gene, is that Christians should not sue Christians, especially in front of unbelievers. And we're, we're told uh, by the Apostle Paul that, that we should rather be cheated uh, than to, to sue another brother to compromise our witness. So Christians ought to be able to work these things out. Uh, but uh, if somebody is an unbeliever and you've been cheated in a legitimate business deal that turned out not to be so legitimate, um, then you have access to the courts, Gene, and you're you're fully free to use that. Um, you know, it's an opportunity to share Jesus. It's an opportunity to witness the people you're going to sue, but, but the court system is for everybody, and uh, you're entitled to, to use it. Um, we have in the past here at our church, we have in the past sort of arbitrated disputes between believers before. Um, again, Paul makes it really clear we ought to 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 we we should rather be cheated than to than to compromise a Christian witness, especially when we're going in front of unbelieving courts. Um, but the churches, I don't think we do much on this anymore. And I, I know we've had opportunities here um, two or three times over the years, Gene, when there was a business deal that was struck between uh, believers. And it didn't go well, or somebody maybe they didn't behave like they were a Christian in the in the doing of the work. Um, we've had them in before, and uh, we've arbitrated those disputes. And that way, um, the, the witness isn't compromised. And usually, in two of our three cases, I, I, so it's just not a big experience. But in two of our three cases, uh, we were able to maintain relationships between the, between the people. Um, but sometimes they're just people who say I'm a Christian and they cheat and they won't make it right. Um, in cases like that, it's better just to say, okay, to protect the witness of our Christ, um, we're going to just let that pass. Gene, we hate that. Our flesh hates it. The idea that we might be cheated is almost unthinkable to us. But we really and truly need to remember that's what Jesus did for us. He did it first, and we're to follow suit. Good question, Gene. Haven't had it in a long time. Melody says, is it okay to have non-believing friends? Um, Melody, yeah, it's okay to have non-believing friends, casual acquaintances. Um, but, but when I think the Bible says to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers... I think really close or intimate friendships, certainly dating relationships, but even best friends types of things, it's very hard to have with a, with a non-believing person. It's hard because you, you don't approach things the same way. Uh, your 
uh, purpose is to honor the Lord and what you do. The unbelieving friend uh, has no such motivation. And so I think I think you have to just do the best you can. Yeah, you can be friends with people. But to bring them into your confidence or to, um, to, to, to be friends beyond just casual friends is really going to be hard because you just simply don't have the same set of values. So those are the things that I think that, uh, that you ought to consider. So, Melody, be discerning. Um, don't let any friends, um, believing or unbelieving, don't let any friends tempt you to do things that you know are wrong to do. Uh, and remember always to stand with and for Jesus in your relationships. Thank you, Melody. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Uh, Dennis says, how do I know if I've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Dennis, the fact that you even ask that question um, means you haven't committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to, to, to have committed that sin, to be completely lost, is um, to have a heart that's so hard that the Holy Spirit wouldn't even be able to penetrate it. And um, I think we have to remember also, Dennis, what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a continuing rejection of Jesus Christ unto death. Now remember, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes... He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Now, that's his ministry from from the time Jesus left until he comes back. Um, if you don't respond to the conviction of sin, um, the fear of judgment, um, and you die in that condition, there's no remedy left for your sin. So we have to make the decision what and in whom we believe while we're alive. As long as you're alive, Dennis, and as long as you have breath, it doesn't matter what horrible things you've done or said, um, as long as you have breath, it's not too late. It's just not too late. I've been privileged to be at several um, deathbed conversions. I mean, literally watching people slip away and, and out of the fear of God and fear of dying, give their life to Jesus. Um, they were that close. And I always tell them, there's still time as long as you've got breath. So, Dennis, I don't know what you've done, but repent of your sin. And if you're willing to do that, then what you'll learn is your heart's not too hard yet. But again, as long as you're alive, you've not committed that sin. Now, I want to also add this, Dennis, because this is um, sort of a hard concept for us to understand. Um, we can continue to sin. We can rebel against God to the point that our hearts get so hard that we no longer can respond. The problem, Dennis, is that we don't know when that is. And that's why I began my answer to your question uh, with, with uh, you haven't committed it because you asked the question. You wouldn't even be, be concerned about it. If you've crossed that line where God has just said, okay, I'm going to leave you alone with your will. This is your choice you can keep doing these terrible things. Uh, I'm going to leave you alone with your will. Um, if You wouldn't even know it. So, Dennis, just listen. Take my counsel. It's not too late. Tell God you're sorry. You need to stop sinning. And ask him to come into your heart. And if you're unwilling to do that, who knows, Dennis, you may be getting close to that place. So I hope that makes sense to you, Dennis. I really hope it is home in your heart. Here is a question from Michelle. Uh, Michelle says, can I lose my salvation? I've done some pretty bad things. Michelle, it, the answer to this question depends on whether you're really saved in the first place. I don't know that. That's between you and the Lord. But if you had it, you can't lose it. Now, if you've done some bad things, as you indicate, uh, after having been saved, then the thing that you need to do is really examine your heart. You can find out right now who Jesus is. And I think we need to have a sort of a restoration of a healthy fear of God in the church culture. You know, we're trying to make people so comfortable in church. And I don't think that's the right approach at all. Because there's a whole lot of people living like unbelievers who are going to find an unbeliever's consequence in eternity. And we're making them comfortable in their sin. 
And so here's the question, Michelle. Were you ever really sinned? Did your life really change? And I don't mean for a minute. I mean for, for an extended period of time. When you meet my Jesus, you always change. doesn't matter who you are. You can't meet him on holy ground. You can't receive the forgiveness of sins and ask Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit to come into your heart without being transformed. Now, it's true that some people are transformed radically, others less so. But Jesus will change everybody. And if you have been changed, then it's like you met Jesus and then you just decided to sin. Well, now the question is, are you ready to repent of those things? Are you ready to take responsibility for those things? Then all you have to do is say, Jesus, I know I promised you I'd serve you forever, but I lied. Please forgive me of my sins and give me another chance. And his arms, Michelle, are open wide. His arms are open wide to you even now. So stop doing bad things. Ask him for forgiveness. And then find out whatever you have to find out. You go find out how close to Jesus that you can get. Thanks, Michelle. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I'm talking into the air here. If there's any calls or questions, we'd love to have them. You're more interesting than I am. Here's an interesting question. Patricia says, "What is your opinion about plastic surgery?" Um, I'm seventy years old, Patricia. I don't think I'm going to get any. I know that's not what you're asking, but my opinion doesn't really matter. This is a a a question between you and the Lord. I I don't think inherently there's anything at all wrong with it. Uh, If you have some areas that you want to change uh, and God gives you the freedom to do it, certainly the Bible gives you the freedom to do it, but this is one of those things, Romans 14, 23, anything not of faith is sin. This is one of those things where you really need to say, uh, just to Jesus, what do you think? Now, I can tell you the process he's going to go through, Patricia. He's going to ask you, what's your motive? I've had this question before regarding um, breast augmentation. And he's going to ask, what's your motive? He's going to tell you how beautiful you are. He's going to say, what's your motive? And if your motive is, uh, I, I just feel better about myself, um, uh, whatever, it's, it's okay, but... But this is something you've got to work out with him. I certainly would not do it uh, without his approval. Um, I would I would want to know that this was in the will of God. I would want to know that the Holy Spirit checked my heart and my motives for doing it. That it wouldn't only be about looking better. Uh, there's times when plastic surgery has made enormous differences in people. Other times where because the motives were wrong, it caused more difficulties. So, Patricia, this is between you and the Lord. Um, There's nothing that keeps you from having it. On the other hand, again, please check your motives in your heart and just ask Jesus what he thinks about it. And if you're uh, in the Word, Patricia, uh, I I promise you that you'll get an answer to your question. Your spirit will, will settle the issue once and for all. That's how important that it is. If you're hearing noises in the background, evidently we've got uh, construction going on, and uh, we apologize for that, but there's nothing we can do. They're, they're pounding on our roof in the background. So let's go to Victor calling on line one from San Antonio. Victor, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir, Pastor Ron. I just remembered uh, one of the first questions that were given to you. Uh, in reference to uh, you know self-defense and everything, and uh, mm-hmm. I di- you didn't give any uh, scripture passages because that's another that's another thing that I find a lot of people don't want to have anything with be a Christian because they say that you know hey you're supposed to turn the cheek I can slap you around tell you give me this you're supposed to give it to me and uh, you know I just wanted to know about scripture references that you can possibly go over. I know that, you know, the, uh, Jesus mentioned, you know, that, you know, the only way you're going to be able to uh, spoil a house, uh, a residential home, is, is if you bind a strong man. And there's other passages in there, and, and I just wanted to, uh, how you would respond to that charge that, you know, that uh, yeah. even even uh, that uh, 
Muslim uh, mayor of uh, in Iran slapped this one guy uh, <laughs> that was debating him, and he said Christianity doesn't work, and he went and slapped him, and then he told him that he had to take his pants off and give it to him, and just totally humiliated him on the stage. So I'll, I'll uh, uh, if you could please go over that uh, and give some. I, I, I can, Victor. I can do that, Victor. Thanks very much. You know, one of the things that we have to do as Christians, we've got to get away from this. It's um, um, a little sophomoric, and I don't mean that in, in, in a pejorative way. Uh, but what's the scripture reference? You know, Jesus didn't talk about guns. He didn't have guns like we have guns. Jesus said to get a sword. Uh, told Peter and the others when he was leaving, but to now I've kept you safe, but now I'm going to be going away, so now go buy a sword. And what he's telling them is that things are going to be different. They're going to be hard for you. And while I was always here, I was always able to protect you. Now that I'm going to my father and your father, I'm not going to do anything like that. So you've got to take the, the, the totality of Scripture. Um, there, there's not a turn in your Bibles to the book of self-defense or to the book of guns. It's not in there. So what you've got to do is um, look at Jesus' character, look at the things that, that are there related to the culture in which he lived, and then we can make some determinations. Um, the other thing, when people use turn the other cheek and, um, um, uh, you know, if I ask for your, your tunic, give me your cloak also, um, they, they, they don't at all, they have no understanding at all about what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Jesus isn't saying in the Sermon on the Mount that these are the things that we who are believers have to do. Remember, Jesus wasn't talking to believers. He was evangelizing unbelievers, Jews. And here's what he was saying. If you want to get to heaven by following the law or by having the law, if you want to get to heaven by being good or doing good, this is how good you have to be. And so he takes the Sermon on the Mount and he goes beyond the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. And, uh, Victor, nobody is going to stand still when somebody comes up and slaps him in the face. That's nonsense. Um, Paul uh, was slapped in the face, um, and, and he, he lashed out verbally. Um, but, but remember, that Jesus was just raising the stakes. What he was saying to Jews under law, he was saying, uh, you say this, but I say unto you. And those are the things that we really have to remember. And that's just really, really poor uh, biblical exegesis. So, um, you know, when, uh, you, we, we wouldn't expect a Muslim to understand that. We wouldn't expect unbelievers to understand it. But those are not even honest challenges. So what we really need to do is understand that, that um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was giving us an impossible standard to live to. And basically by doing it, he's saying... That's why you need me. And he was saying that to Jews who were under law. So, Victor, again, there's no guns are okay, there's self-defense. We've got to protect our families. We've got to protect ourselves in, in situations where our lives are in danger. So, um, just the totality of Scripture, just uh, the, the, the misunderstanding or the misappropriation of the Sermon on the Mount, um, that doesn't... People just don't understand. You know, I, I, it always frustrates me, Victor, when unbelievers try to use the Bible they don't know anything about. I always tell them, how, how are you going to talk to me about the Bible? Well, the Bible says, and I, I, I let them know that the Bible is like a love letter. And I stole this from a pastor friend of mine many years ago. He said to somebody, he said, the Bible is a love letter to Christians. The New Testament is a love letter to us. And the problem with somebody who's trying to use it but doesn't understand it, it's like they're trying to read somebody else's mail and it's not working out. So, again, understand the purpose on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Victor, if you'd like to do this, you can go to our website, calvarysa.com, and uh, get my studies and my notes uh, are available as well. I have a commentary uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. Um on, on really all of the Gospels of the whole New Testament. And uh, all of that's free, and, and that would give you a, a little bit of information with which to counter people who are doing like this. You know, somebody who's not a believer, they're always trying to find holes in our faith, 
And the reason they're trying to find those loopholes is because your witness convicts them. You know, if you've been in a dark room and somebody shines a bright light in your face, it hurts and you shy away. Well, that's exactly what's happening. You're being a light in, in people's lives and they don't want the light. They'd rather stay in the dark. They like to sin and so they want to keep sinning. And I think, uh, Victor, when we understand that, then we can at least deal with them on an honest basis. So that's very, very important. Thank you for the question. Well, we're less than a minute, so I don't have time for another question. Uh, this half, I'll get to some more on the other side, and then we'll wait your phone calls. But just very quickly, let me remind you that tonight we're going to be talking uh, for the final time about the rapture of the church. Uh, maybe we'll get raptured before 7 o'clock comes, but uh, you can watch it at calvarysa.com, or you can be here in person and ask some questions. And then... Um, I'd like to remind you once more that we've got a ministry coming up next week, and you're invited if you'd like to come. All you have to do is check with the church office or online. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the week or of the program today and the last half hour of our week, 340-9585. I'm sort of laughing because I knew this kind of a statement or question was coming and I do, we just got it from our mobile app anonymously. Uh, this person says, I'm so upset at what the president is doing. His mistakes are so numerous and monumental. We don't have time to discuss them, even if you had a day-long radio show. His scolding the nation last night was my last straw. But here's my struggle. I find myself being quite upset with my family members that voted for him, even though they are Christians. I want to blame them. I don't want to talk to them at all. How can I tackle this problem? Um, the first thing, the first thing is to pray for our president. Pray for him. You know, we have no right to get angry with somebody that we're not praying for. I hope that makes sense to you. We have no right to pray for somebody that, 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 or be angry with somebody that we're not praying for. We're instructed to pray for the leaders of our nation. And, and uh, uh, Anonymous, I am with you. Uh, I think what he did last night was among the worst things, um, arrogant and humiliating to him all at the same time I've ever seen uh, somebody in a position of trust do. And, and for the life of me, I, I can't imagine uh, where his advisors are. This is just um, beyond anything we ever would have imagined in this country. Now, because I don't want this to be a political show, and and uh, I, I want us to understand our responsibility to pray for him. We want him in heaven. So pray for his salvation. With regard to your family members, um, I, I would have lots of other issues, Christians that voted for him. Um, when they voted for him, they didn't know what he was going to do Last night, but but I I've always I ask Christians how could you possibly vote for somebody who is in favor of murdering children? How can you do that? What what Christian biblical principle allows you to do that? And um, I would ask them to, to 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 prayerfully really understand that. Now I understood understand in our last election. Donald Trump was a lightning rod. People absolutely hated him. I get that. They didn't want to vote for him. I get that. However, however, and this is important, they voted for the murder of children. They voted for the destruction of a nation that we've grown up with. I'm 70 years old. I've been around a long time. And and this nation, our leadership, doesn't um, even resemble what I've known my entire life. 
And it's never been perfect. It's never even really been good. My teenage years, I had my radical being against the Vietnam War days. I get it. But but this is just incompetence. And the assault on our freedom is overwhelming. So pray, pray, pray for him. Again, with regard to your family members, don't let yourself get angry. The enemy will be there to tempt you. All you can do is simply say, I'm praying for you guys. And if you can have a reasonable discussion, ask him, well, what made you vote for this guy in the first place? I mean, it's not Biden's fault that we have a pandemic. It's not Biden's fault. Some of the things that were going on when he arrived as the president. But he's done more harm in a shortest period of time than any president in our history. And I would ask somebody, what were you thinking? You thought it was okay to vote for somebody who was an avowed baby killer. Even now, Biden is threatening to sue Texas because Texas finally, at least Texas, took a stand to save unborn children. So how can they justify that? And if the conversation becomes destructive instead of constructive, then just get out and pray for your family members as well. But don't let your anger cause you to sin. Remember we're to be peacemakers, Jesus said. Reconcilers. And we can't do that if we're angry. I understand your heart. I understand the issues. However, um, Remember our responsibilities to Jesus. Thanks, Anonymous. 340-9585. I was hoping I wouldn't get that question today. Here is our next question. It comes from another anonymous one. It says, this is another political one. Um, Pastor Ron, I get angry that my tax dollars are going for things like abortion. Is it okay to try to avoid paying taxes? No, it's not. It's not. Uh, you can get on a righteous high horse, but remember, a lot of the things that taxes go for, you use. You're on the roads, and and, and you're using the, the, the benefits of, of living in this nation. So, no, it's not okay to avoid paying taxes. And you knew the answer to that question before you asked it. So, get angry, righteously angry, and vote differently. Or vote for people that that support your values. But the honest truth is that we're never going to get to a place where there is a a candidate who is going to satisfy all of the requirements of righteous leadership. It's just not going to happen in this world. I think we've got to stop being naive. We've got to stop pretending that all we had to do was elect a Republican and everything is going to be okay. It was never okay. Donald Trump, and I voted for him, Donald Trump is not a good man, not a Christian man. He lived a godless life, and he needs Jesus. And for us, because he's sort of on our side to overlook his sins while blasting Biden or Obama when he was in, is disingenuous. So an argument like this makes no sense at all. Yes, pay your taxes And do it because Jesus said to do it. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Here's a question from Celeste. I want to know if God hears the prayers of unbelievers. I know people who say they pray all the time, but they're not saved. Uh, Celeste, you know, they're they're just talking into the wind. Um, When you tell people that, and I have, by the way, uh, they get angry. Well, I can pray. I talk to God all the time. Yeah, but the, the, the issue is he can't hear you. It's not that God can't hear, it's that he won't hear because you have no basis upon which to approach him. That's something we've got to remember. You've got to have access. You know, I can't just walk into the White House and say, I want to talk to the president because I don't have White House access. What I can do is pray in the will of God and I know I have Jesus' access. So, no, God does not hear the prayers of unbelievers. It's not that he can't hear. He can do anything. 
but that he has no relationship with those people. And um, so they're just kidding themselves. And uh, usually, Celeste, what I've found in instances like this is an opportunity to share Jesus. And, and you know why God can't hear your prayers? They're not getting above the ceiling. And the reason they're not getting above the ceiling is because your sin separates you from him. And he died for your sins. It's a wonderful opportunity to present the gospel in full to people. So, no, he does not hear the prayers of unbelievers. He would love to. But that issue of sin keeps him from being able to do that. Thank you for the question, Celeste. Uh, Miguel asks, in heaven, why do we need rewards? Isn't Jesus enough? Yeah, Jesus is enough, Miguel. You might remember the crowns that we're going to throw at his feet. Those are the rewards. We're going to acknowledge Jesus' enoughness. We're going to acknowledge that by throwing the crowns down. But we want those crowns. Can you imagine Jesus handing you a crown for something that you did just for him? With the right heart, can you imagine the smile on his face? The, the pride he has in you as he hands you that reward. So it's not that we need them, but he tells us to want them. And they'll bring glory to him. So of course we need our rewards. And of course Jesus is enough. But this is an act of worship, Miguel. When we stand before the Lord and he gives us those crowns and we cast them down at his feet. I always think of David, you know, when, when he said, oh, I'd give anything for just a drink of water. And some of his soldiers risked their lives and, and went and got David this fresh water from a well that he knew. And, and when he brought it back, David was convicted and he poured it all out. It wasn't that he was ungrateful. Uh, he's just saying, how can I do this? Well, in heaven, it's going to be just the opposite. We're going to cast them down at Jesus because we're going to be saying that everything that we did, Lord, that was good was all you. And we thank you for what you've done. So we're told by Jesus to pursue rewards. The Apostle Paul says, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, and not only for me, but all those who long for the Lord's appearing. And we need to remember that because when we get those crowns, Jesus is going to smile at us and say, well done. And we're going to know the value of our work. So, Miguel, Jesus is always enough, but he wants to give us reward. That's part of our ability to worship him in heaven. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Lee asked the question, how does one examine themselves daily as we're told in the Bible to do? What are we looking for? Uh, Lee, what you're looking for is anything that separates you from fellowship with God. You know, we can we can fool ourselves. We're easily deceived, and there's an enemy who's a lot smarter than we are, and he's a great deceiver, and he's a liar. And there are things that we are doing that we know God doesn't want us to do. I'll give you just one example, and there's a thousand of them. But let's just say that you're a, a, a man of God, you're going to church, you're, you're um, trying to do the right things. But let's just say, Lee, maybe your marriage isn't what God wants it to be. Maybe you're a little unkind or a little impatient to your family members. Well, if you examine your heart, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal that to you. And then you'll have the opportunity to repent. And, and then your fellowship, your lines of communication with God are going to be open again. So examining yourselves um, daily, Paul says, is important to ensure that we're actually living the faith that we profess with our mouth. James says, don't be hearers only of the word, but be doers of the word. Maybe, Lee, um, you're in church and you raise your hands during worship songs and you get emotional, and yet you haven't served in the church. You know, we're supposed to be here for others, not for ourselves, and maybe you don't care about others. Those are the kinds of things that separate you from hearing the Lord, those are the kinds of things that separate you from being in the will of God. And as you're reading your Bible, you said, how does one do it? You read your Bible. And the Spirit will use the Word of God. He wrote it to change the heart of the man of God. That's you. And so when you're reading your Bible and and it says, um, um, 
in your anger, do not sin. If you're an angry person, you've sinned in your anger, then you're going to be convicted of that and you have the opportunity then, Lee, to repent and say, Jesus, I don't want to be that anymore. I don't want to misrepresent you any longer. So here's what I'm going to do, Lord. Help me never to sin in my anger again. Help my anger to be righteous anger like yours was. And Lord, help me to remember that self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. And that's just one example of of literally hundreds that I could give, Lee. But um, be in the Word. Be in the Word. When you're reading your Bible, the Spirit of God is going to convict you. And then when you are convicted, you respond. That's what it means to examine your heart. And that's the way we're absolutely certain that we're never going to miss out on anything again. So I hope that makes sense to you. Rick says, Pesteron, what are red-letter Christians? Rick, a red-letter Christian probably isn't really a Christian at all, uh, but a red-letter Christian, that's a way to describe Christians who say, well, I only pay, or professing Christian, who say, I only uh, believe what's written in red letters in the Bible. Only what Jesus says is important. I'll give you an example. Um, over and over in our church culture, people will say, uh, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, so it must be okay. That's a red-letter professing Christian. Uh, the Bible, they don't understand how we got our Bible. They don't understand the purpose of the Bible. They certainly don't understand, nor do they care about the things that Jesus says, even in the red letters. But it's just a rationalization to keep sinning. So red-letter Christians are now progressive Christians or... Um, very liberal Christians, by that I mean liberal theologically. Um, and, uh, you know, say, well, well, I believe this is okay and I can do this, but, but uh, and I'm a Christian. And I've had people swear they're Christians up and down. I'm a Christian and God wants me to be happy. And so if this same-sex relationship makes me happy, it's okay. Uh, those people, Rick, are not real Christians. Jesus will say to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? At that moment of judgment, he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Jesus said, if you love him, you will obey him. And red-letter Christians want no part of that. And Rick, I think the biggest thing, and this is a, a, a sticky point for me because I love the word so much. Um, even those that claim to be red-letter Christians they reject most of the red letters. To be my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. They don't believe that. There's none good. They don't believe that. What Jesus said to the rich young ruler, they would utterly reject. So they're not real Christians, Rick. They're not born-again people, and they're not going to heaven. You know, when I first got saved, and, and, I, and the, the, there was a, a, a big study out called the Jesus Seminar in the 70s. I didn't get, get saved till the 90s, but uh, 1991. But, but they did a seminar, and, and the Jesus Seminar was, was big, and it was um, um, a series of, of, we would now call them pro, uh, progressive scholars. Uh, back then, they called themselves um, higher critics. Um, and, and they set out to determine how much of what Jesus is reported to have said in our four Gospels did he really say. And they came up with the conclusion that 13% of what we have in red letters in our Bible was legitimately spoken by Jesus. The other stuff is just translation error. And, and so red-letter Christians, 87% of what's in red letters in the Bible, they don't believe. They don't buy at all. So... Um, again, they're really not saved at all. Here is another political question. Uh, you guys are watching the news, aren't you? This is from Oscar. He said, why don't more of you pastors preach against the liberal politicians that are ruining our country? Uh, our job, Oscar, is not to do that. Do you go to work and preach against the liberal politicians that are ruining our country? You probably don't. You probably go to work and just to work. Well, my job is to proclaim Jesus Christ. My job is to teach people how to think biblically. 
and trust the decisions they make to vote with God. My job is to make sure they know who Jesus is and to make sure they have an opportunity to know him as Lord and Savior. My job isn't to preach to the choir and, you know, Christians by and large are conservative people. Not all, certainly, but most, many. Um, what value is there in me preaching to the choir? I've got an open Bible. And Oscar, if you come to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, you're going to find that that's the only thing that matters. And then the Holy Spirit, working through the Word of God, will change your heart, change the way you think. And he does a better job of convincing people than I do. My pulpit is Jesus' pulpit. I'm not looking for a kingdom on this earth. I'm looking for a kingdom that comes from heaven. Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. You went to heaven. Oh, hi. Hi, Jimmy. Uh, you know, you were talking about, um, I heard you earlier, and I was asking, I know we're living in dark times right now, but I'm not afraid. But uh, I'm not afraid. But, um, but I was going to tell you that, uh, oh, I was asking God, Yesterday, I was asking them, God, how do we fight against battle? How do we, how do we, how is it a dude? How do we fight against people? And he showed me the scripture. Cool. It's hard to say. It's very emotional. You know, when God's people, it's Matthew 544. I'm, I'm sorry, Jimmy, I couldn't hear the, the reference. Matthew 4, 544. Mm hmm. You know, pray for your enemies. Forgive them. Yep. And and that's why you sold it. Show me that. Yeah, Jimmy. You know the problem is we don't we don't like that message in in ours. You know, this is the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus is summing it up. He's telling those people in this world that love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And, and and the goal of that is that they may be sons of the Father in heaven just like you are. And um, um, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. You know, how do we deal with stuff? The people that don't know Jesus need him. And our job is to declare him, to rightly represent him, and not to not to be confused about... You know, I think a lot of Christians, we're, we're looking for heaven to be here now on earth when in fact, Jimmy... That's just never going to be the case. So God bless you, man. That's that's the way. Uh, I had a question earlier about how do you examine your heart. You see, Jimmy had a question. Lord, what do we do about this stuff? And uh, and the Holy Spirit answered him. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We don't want them. We want them out of business. We want to sign petitions. We want recalls. We want all these things. And it's okay to exercise your rights as a citizen of this country to do that, but just don't expect that even if you get the desired result, that things are going to be any more godly. So love your enemies. I said earlier, we have no right to be angry at President Biden if we're not praying for him. So Christians, that's our clarion call in these last days. And Jesus is coming soon. Got time for, I think, one more question today. Let's see what it is here. It's... Um, Anonymous, my mother says there are no longer any absolute truths. Is that right? How can I convince her? Um, well, she just logically, uh, by saying there are no longer absolute truths, that's an absolute truth in her mind, so she's just negated uh, her position at all. Um, you know, the, the one thing unbelievers, anonymous, don't get is that there's only one rule maker, and he never changes. We know that. That's what the Bible tells us. And so when he makes a rule, it's always going to be right. It doesn't matter whether it was made thousands of years ago or or a hundred years ago, or uh, it doesn't matter. Our, our world doesn't change. And God says, oh, well, it's okay now. We're a little more sophisticated. Now, we're supposed to be 
the imprint of change on this world. And the way we do that is by staying faithful to that which is truth, the, the, the gospel once for all delivered to the saint. So you can't convince her. She's going to change her mind based on how she feels, based on what the world around her tells her. The best way for you to have an impact in her life is to simply live a life of righteousness, a life of joy and peace and contentment. All the things that she doesn't have, you do have. And then the Holy Spirit's going to knock on the door of her heart at one point and say, hey, just look at your son or look at your daughter. Don't you want that peace? Don't you want that joy? And a lot of times these people end up getting saved. So pray for her. But at the same time, remember that your life is to be lived with the joy of the Lord. And it is a powerful, powerful tool. And one day, she just may come up to you and say something like, you know, you've got something that I need. As you pray for, God will bring her to that place. So that's the best way. But any argument says there are no absolute truths is making an absolute truth statement. And, uh, and obviously, that's intellectually dishonest. So, Anonymous, thank you very, very much. Hey, we're out of time for today, so let me remind you tonight, I'm going to be talking about the rapture, um, just kind of summarizing it, and then we're going to take some questions and answers. Uh, Sunday, have a great, great day at church. Go to church to be a blessing to someone else rather than see how you might be blessed. Thanks for tuning in this week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word, unless Jesus comes first. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.